to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I'm Melanie over in the flaming butthole that is currently California. <laughs> and I'm Danielle over in the slightly dreary UK. <laughs> and welcome. I completely <laughs> forgot how to move on to the next segment. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're Jesus. new. Ah. I'm still sleepy. Sorry for me. It's like 8.30 in the morning. And for Danielle, it is in the afternoon. Yes, it's quarter to five in the afternoon. Yeah. So bear with me as I'm still sort of waking up. And I'm kind of sleepy because I just ate a pizza. Ooh, pizza. Mm-hmm. So um, this week, do we have any housekeeping? Uh, not so much housekeeping as much as we've had... Um, We've actually had a listener come back with their own anecdote relevant to our previous podcast. Hey, it's Woo! a milestone. We've had lots of lovely comments, but no, um, nothing that sort of adds someone else's perspective to, to something. So um, I'm just going to read this out. It's from one of my classmates at university. Her name's RJ. And she messaged me and she says, um, loved the omens pod. Thank you very much, RJ. Thank um, you. <laughs> and she says, funny you mentioned the owl being an omen of death in Native American folklore. Because whilst I was in California, she was on a um, uh, field work uh, for the university in California. Um, whilst I was in California, I just learned that. She just learned that. One day, one of the tribe members saw... Uh, an owl whilst him and some of the team were filling up at a gas station and he wouldn't let them drive for a while because he didn't think that they were safe on the roads um it was a white owl specifically nice so definitely definitely a thing um she was in um she was doing her field work with chumash tribe so that is a, a chumash tribe member who saw a white owl and did not want to drive for a little while afterwards. I mean, this is legit. I did not make that up. No. <laughs> no. It's a thing. And a thing. Um, we have someone outside of the podcast who has experienced that. And literally just learned it as well. So she must have been excited to hear someone talking about it. But, you know, when you just first learn something and then you hear someone talk about it, you're like, I know that now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks for throwing that in. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you to everybody who's commented and 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 made um you know approached us or you know requested any topics. We really do appreciate it. So um, you're making us feel really special, and we super appreciate it. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, so do we have anything to purge this week? Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk some shit about seagulls. <laughs> right. I don't think I need to convince anybody listening that seagulls are assholes. I, no. I really don't. But I just want to I just want to say, for the record, from a vegetarian, call them. <laughs> I I just uh, there's no words. Okay, so right now it's quite stuffy and hot at night, so we're having to either leave the fan on or the window open. Okay. Okay. That's the thing that happens in California, too. This is where your sympathy will end. Mm-hmm. You know that that feeling, right? But yeah. you do not get woken up at three, four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> on and on and on and on. Oh, and also, because they're so close to your window, because you're on the second floor 
what you would call the first floor, what we would call the second floor. Sorry, what I you would call the second floor, what I would call the first floor. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're right outside our window because they're on the top of the light post, the lamp post. Oh. And you also know that they're shitting all over your car because you've parked your car under the lamp post. And over the last last few days, I've had my car pretty much in the same spot. Don't get me started on parking. Mm-hmm. And my car was absolutely covered in bird shit this morning. I mean, absolutely. Uh, oh, just, I should have taken a picture, Melanie. It was horrendous. <laughs> well, side note, and something that I actually learned when researching for last week's podcast, bird shit is good luck. Shut up. They say that to make you feel better. It's a Russian like, thing. They believe that bird shit is good luck. Well, yeah, they believe that here. It's a British thing as well, that if you get shit on by a, a pigeon or a seagull, that it's good luck. But I've always thought, no, that's one of those practical superstitions that just makes it's, it's meant to make you feel better. Oh you, oh, you got pigeon shit on your face? It's meant to be good luck. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> I don't think that seagull shit all over your car is good luck, though. I couldn't see. <laughs> So I've just got, I, I nipped out for a little bit with Turner and we went and got the car washed. I guarantee you within 20 minutes of being parked in front of our house, there's going to be bird shit on it. But that's it. They're just annoying and they poo on everything. Why? What is the point of them? You know, I'm not entirely sure. I was attacked by a seagull once. It was really intense. I have also been attacked by seagulls. Motherfucker stole times. Stole this, like, you know when you make a sandwich and it's perfect? Yes. You know, it's it's just like perfect amount of every ingredient and it is just a goddamn blessing. Um, I was able to take one bite and this motherfucker swooped down, knocking my hand. He cut open my hand, snatching my entire perfect sandwich. I'll never forgive it. I'm yeah. So I'm with you. Fuck those things. I've got too many anecdotes about being attacked by seagulls that I'm just not going to bother telling you them because it is almost a monthly occurrence. We'll have an episode about shitty seagulls. <laughs> Asshole birds. <laughs> That'd be a really terrible episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just talk about asshole birds. We'll talk about emus. They're jerks too. Parrots. I'm pretty sure parrots are from another planet. Have you ever seen one yawn? It's demonic. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've got the little spiky teeth. Well, yeah, and it just like it goes all the way back towards like the back of its head of the. Rayas, rayas are shitheads too. Rayas, <laughs> all, all in the ostrich family. <laughs> all right, so I'm I'm on this bird purge with you. Fuck those things. <laughs> Except for owls, obviously. Except for when they're on the harbingers of death. Yeah, aside from being evil or or yeah, terrible omens, they're also lovely. All right, so our topic for this week is. Do we not want to expel the? Um, oh my God, my brain. All right. All right. All right, we're gonna we're gonna take a deep breath from this purge before we dump jump into our next topic. So ready yes. on the count of three. One, two, three. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so Danielle, what is our topic this week? Our topic this week is bog bodies. It was a total cop out. It was a total cop out because it's really close to mummies, but we decided to do it anyway because it's fun. And the mummies episode was pretty popular. It's it's it honestly is my favorite episode so far. Ah, yeah. I I agree. I liked it too. Yeah. So, so bog bodies and what are they? Okay. So 
Basically, a bog body is a body or corpse cadaver that has been naturally mummified in a peat bog. So because of the anoxic waterlogged conditions in peat bog, the bodies are sometimes perfectly preserved, retaining their hair, skin and internal organs. They do tend to lose their skeletons, though, because of the acidity of the bog, it dissolves the bones. But there are examples where skeletons have survived. And the low temperature and lack of oxygen in the peat means that the hair, skin, organs are preserved, but take on a very dark tan, kind of red tinge or dark brown colour. They're found predominantly in Europe, particularly in Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands and the UK, including Ireland. And the oldest example dates to around 8,000 years ago during the Mesolithic period. So this is before we started farming and settling down. Um, but he was only a skeleton. Uh, but the oldest known fleshy body dates to about 2,000 years ago during the Bronze Age. Okay, I'm not going to go into the fact that the Neolithic Bronze Age Iron Age transitions occur at different times in different places in Europe. I'm just going to yeah. put rough periods in there for the sake of simplicity. But all the archaeologists and um, historian people listening, I do know that the, that the transition periods are different all throughout Europe, but we're just going to blanket term it. You'd probably understand why. Um, predominantly, though, the bodies tend to have been placed or deposited, which is a technical term, <laughs> in the bog during the Iron Age, which spans about 800 to, uh, BC to about 480 AD for Europe. So that's not everybody's Iron Age, but that's kind of a, a rough estimate. Yeah. Um, Iron Age bog bodies tend to show a lot of similar traits, uh, like evidence of a violent death and being nude which has led archaeologists to believe that they were killed and deposited in the bogs as part of a widespread cultural tradition of human sacrifice or possibly the execution of criminals. More on that later. There are modern examples um, dating to the Second World War where soldiers killed in the Russian wetlands have been found preserved, though these are accidental rather than ritual deposits. And I use the term ritual even though it's a word of contention and controversy within the archaeological world but i think with 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 talking about bog bodies it is going to be impossible to have this discussion without using the r word so i am yeah. going to refer to it as ritual because it kind of ticks all the boxes for being ritual by anybody's definition but um don't email me if you're going we don't we don't refer to it as ritual practice anymore well in this case we are deal with yeah. it so melanie give us some examples of bog bodies bog bodies all right so yeah you mentioned the oldest and oh, i don't want to pronounce it he was found <laughs> in denmark <laughs> it's kolbjerg kolbjerg k-o-e-l-b-j-e-r-g huh um, skeletal remains from 800 BC, 8,000 BC found in Denmark, originally thought to be female, but a lot of people were arguing about it for a long time because the bones seemed really thick, um, but they couldn't actually prove anything until they studied the molars and found him to be male. That's really all we know about him. There's not a whole lot to tell. All they found was a skull and two bones, I believe. And I, I think what the, their theory was that he had drowned and, you know, rotted in in the water. So as he rotted, his bones just sort of fell, but, you know, in, in different locations, just kind of spread about. But because he was technically found in peat, that's what makes him our first bog body. Now, the oldest fleshed bog body 
as you'd mentioned before, is Cashelman from Kulnamanur. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm from California. Ireland, don't hate me. <laughs> yeah, he was found. He is from roughly 2000 BC. Um, he was discovered in 2011 when a gentleman, I believe his last name was Felon, Felon? Yeah, I'm fucking it up, sorry. Um, was Myring was harvesting peat and accidentally kind of shredded the guy. Yeah, that was really kind of sad. Say his name again? Cashelman. Cashel. Okay. Not on my list. Yeah, C-A-S-H-E-L. Cashelman. I do know this one because didn't he do it with a piece of machinery? Yeah. He's not actually the first bug body to be mangled by a peat <laughs> uh, harvesting machine. Yeah. It's fairly common, unfortunately, because peat is such a... It's, it's, a, it's an important resource. I mean, there's so much you can do with peat. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good for harvesting. Uh, but also in the process, you're probably going to find a good body or two. Yep. That's because um, of its perfect conditions for uh, preserving the body. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and then, then the... I don't know if I want to go into it yet, but what was interesting is when you when you mentioned the the whole ritual argument, it's mm-hmm. just like as I'm doing research more, a lot of people are like they they were thrown into the peats, but were they aware of how well preserved these bodies would be? Because I don't think they were. Mm. It's been going on for thousands of years. I think that they did. Yeah, but I, I don't think know. maybe the first lot didn't. But I think by the time they've been doing it for 8,000 years, I think they've got the gist. Yeah, I suppose. But I, I, in my mind, I'm just like, no, peat peat bog seems like a, just a good place to throw a body in general. So just, I think right. that there would have been, just to be contrary, I think there would have been um, instances where bodies of, bo- of animals had turned up okay, and fair. they would have been like, oh, wow, like that naturally preserves skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Oh, Toby, our dog. We buried him like 15 years ago. He's perfect still. What's up with that? Um. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Fair enough. <laughs> and and there are some that were buried sort of like intentionally uh, about six feet deep, um, or six feet under the peat. So there's that too. Anyway, Cashelman, um, was a 20 to find 20 to 25 year old male. He was found in a semi-fetal position with his arms around his legs and his knees close to his chest. But the harvesting machine kind of shredded his head and his left arm. So if you look at pictures of him, he just sort of looks like a big leather sack with yeah. perfectly preserved human legs sticking out of it. Nice. It's so weird. I was like, wait, where's the... What? <laughs> what happened? No, I definitely remember the photos of this guy. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> what I found was interesting about him. So he, he had a broken arm previous to death. Um, his back was broken in two places, but that was probably just due to the weight and pressure of being in the bog. Um, the body was accompanied with hazel stakes, and hazel stakes tend to be uh, fairly predominant in human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why particularly hazel seems to be more predominant than any other kind of wood. So that was a neat little note. Um, they believe that he may have been a king of the area. Okay. Because mainly, uh, bleh, for many reasons, 
Um, he was found near a site that was known for inaugurating, crowning, and um, removing kings in rituals. And anything that would have shown how he died was damaged by the harvester. So we don't know for sure exactly how he died, but because of the placement, being the peat bog, being so close to where kings were crowned and removed, um, the hazel stakes, all of that sort of points to definitely human sacrifice and most likely king, because back then it was fairly common in Celtic and Druidic practice to sacrifice kings um, if the harvest was poor or if like an illness kind of or plague fell over the the community. It was totally on the king's head. Okay. In my research, I found there was this one little little snippet that some some dude had said. Um, there, there was literally no one to quote. It was just in quotations, which is... Right. Which is always a sign of a dodgy thing. No, I know. But I found it in like eight different articles and they were, some of them were archaeology uh, websites. Some of them were just like, you know, Irish Post and, and some of them were, uh, they were all over the place, you know, and, you know, Wikipedia. But this quotation <laughs> was, when an Irish king is inaugurated, he is inaugurated in a wedding to the goddess of the land. It is his role to ensure through his marriage to the goddess that the cattle be protected from plague and the people be protected from disease. If those calamities should occur, the king will be held personally responsible. He will be replaced. He will pay the price. He will be sacrificed. That is really the only one that I have that, that delves into anything deeper than just a body in a, po- in a bog. Yeah. Yeah, All right. it just it just kind of reminds me of um, Stuart Piggott, right? He wrote The Druids, and it's it's so, I don't know, it's so many people use it as a sort of um, a point of, of, of fact, like it's sort of like a starting point for so much of history, and it's really not, you know, and yeah. it, I don't know. It, it, it's hard because at the same time, like these are the things that made me interested in archaeology and made me go, ooh, rituals, sacrifices, human, you know, being thrown into a peat bog after having your, th- you know, horrendously injured. It's all usually throat cut, yeah, yeah, um, which is what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> so tell okay. me more, Melanie. <laughs> so those were the first two oldest bog bodies. So we also have the most recent bog body. And this is where I was sort of sitting in a skeptical position like you, because I couldn't find any actual research or validation on this, which was weird. Every article I read was coming from a website I'd never heard of. And it was just, it just felt kind of odd, but the body looked really great. (laughs) Hold on a second. Let me, did you try Google Scholar? No. Okay. What's the name of the the thing? And while you're talking, I'll Google Scholar it. Okay. So, in World War II, Boris Alexandrovich Lazarev was a 22-year-old Soviet World War II pilot shot down in February of 1943 by the Luftwaffe. Danielle's researching to try and back me up here. All right. So in 1998, Russians and Americans searching the archives found details of this particular this particular dogfight between Boris and uh, uh, some other guy (laughs) and decided to look into the swamp where he was said to have crashed. First, they found parts of the fighter plane, which is called Hurricane. And then they discovered 
the near-perfect remains of Boris in the cockpit. Nice. Yeah. No, and he he looked great. His his hands were clenched in front of in front of him as if he were holding on to um, ropes or potentially like a like a parachute backpack type. He looked like he was ready to eject. Everything in his body language uh, looked like he was ready to eject from the plane. Evidently, he did not. His feet were completely severed on impact and fell elsewhere in the craft. When he was discovered, he was eventually buried with honors. But he was interesting. I think really the picture was really fascinating. He's, he looked perfect. It was really kind of frightening. But yeah, I haven't everyone... found anything either. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what to do with it. Because I love the story. I If you look on just basic Google searches, you'll find all kinds of details. But if you try and find anything to to validate it, I mean, you'd think that would be a bigger story, right? I mean, I'm the only thing I can think of is that there's there was this was discovered and it was more reported. It was reported by the media, but then investigated and everything done by the military. So that's why it's not public knowledge. Okay, yeah. So uh, that's all I can think of. No one's done a academic study on this guy. No, I've googled the name and everything like that. There's no academic study that I can find. Just off scholar. I mean, I could go diving into all of the online resources but usually google scholar picks it up even if it's just a citation so i suspect that because he's a soldier all of his post-mortem investigation and sort of you know what's going on with him was probably done by the military um medical people um and therefore is not um public knowledge that's that is my suspicion but he is beautiful right yeah, gorgeous, so, and his feet, feet are completely severed. Poor guy. Yeah, but no but wonder he can't his eject. hands are still. Yeah. Okay. He's so clenched in front of him like he's ready to to pop out. Yeah. You yeah. literally just have to get, for people listening. You just literally don't need to try to spell his last name or anything. Just Google Russian World War Two bog body, and it comes up, and it's just. I mean, his face is still his face. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Well, and that's that, I mean, that's why bog bodies are so particularly fascinating. They they capture such detail that it's yeah. just it's frightening, which takes me to my my favorite mummy, my favorite bog body in the history of bog bodies, and probably the most well known at least over on my end is the Tolland man. Yeah. He's my favorite. I remember in Sixth grade, I read a book about mummies. I got a little book from the library about mummies. And I was super into Egyptian mummies and the whole, you know, canopic jars and all that fun stuff. And then I saw a picture of Tolland Man. And my I just fell in love. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's he is perfect. Yeah, it just can't, looks like he's sleeping. He's perfect. I mean, I can't think of another body as well preserved except for like maybe sleeping beauty that's like other than that he's so perfect you can see every wrinkle in his face you can see every little little beard hair coming out of this little stubble oh he's amazing so on may 6 1950 pete cutters in the hole i can't pronounce that in a peat bog in denmark <laughs> discovered a corpse in the peat that looked so fresh that the police were called in as it looked like a very recent murder. Mm -hmm. 
buried under two meters of peat, fetal position, naked but for a cap of sheepskin and wool and a hide belt around his waist. Buried or died somewhere between 375 and 210 BC, he stood five foot three inches and was roughly 40 years old. A noose made of plated animal hide still around his neck. Now, again, there's a lot of debate as to whether he was he was hung as a criminal or whether he was killed in uh, as a sacrifice. It's really tricky to tell because uh, what were some of the arguments uh, initially thought to have been hung as a criminal because the noose was still around his neck. No vertebrae were broken, nor was the the you know, where the skin gets damaged by the rope in the mm-hmm. process of a hanging. It wasn't angled upwards as it would have been as if he had if he had been hung. It looked more like he had been strangled from behind. Plus, he had a very peaceful look on his face, which generally you don't see with hangings. You see that uh, more common with sacrifices, as if they they were sort of braced for it. Yeah, I'm gonna get into that um, with with my research. So yeah. um, I'll have some explanations there for you, including um, the, the Tolland man is in a part of the study that I um that I researched. So. I have I have some answers perhaps to your questions. Nice. Yep. Well, and then uh, but but the tongue was distended, which is usually a clear sign of hanging. So you know, no no real clue other than he was he was thrown in a bog, uh, which again more common with with sacrifices than than with criminals. But it's not outside of the norm for, to throw criminals into peat bogs either. Mm-hmm. It, well, we we don't know. Is the answer? Yeah, we, don't, we just yeah. don't know. They didn't write it down. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, and one quick question before you go into your thing, because that's that's really all I have. I have a couple others, but you know, uh, like the the Klonikavan man and and a couple other things. But do you have an answer for me about the nipples? Right. So my research does talk about the nipples things. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there is evidence of some bog bodies being tortured somewhat and there's a few of the bodies that have um, mutilations to the genitals and to the nipples without stepping too much on what i'm going to talk about i will just sort of quickly briefly say that it's probably to do with the the performance of the death so no matter which way you look at it um these people were killed horrifically whether they were criminals kings sacrifices or whatever they all died horrendously and most likely there was an audience mm-hmm. so there will have been an audience there the participants in the sacrifice or the, the the killing and the victim themselves so the mutilation is thought to be part of the performance of it okay so with the examples where the nipples have been partially cut off and things like that it probably has to do with bloodletting making it look more um well painful and and um there's there's more to do with the body um and you know the releasing of pain for the body so so do you do you know if there's any truth to the I guess it would be a theory, you know, now, now that I have to be careful with my words with you, mm. um, <laughs> that <laughs> in ancient Ireland, uh, sucking a king's nipple was a gesture of submission and cutting them off would have made him incapable of kingship or in this world or the next. I mean, if there's 
some kind of sort of if if there's any anecdotal not anecdotal but sort of documented tradition of nipples being associated with kingship then i would say that there's some what that that theory holds water so to speak but mm-hmm. without knowing too much about where they're getting their information from i can't really answer it it's just well, yeah, that a lot of people can say things that fit a certain pattern um they, so they, they can look at data and it can all like tick all their boxes and then they can come up with a theory but then they're at the end of the day it's just speculative it's just the way yeah. that they've interpreted it and that's kind of part of what um the paper that i read is talking about is it depends on the order in which you um interpret the injuries occurring and the way in which you um, interpret the way that it would have been performed and who, you know, and what kind of person was being sacrificed. All those things are subjective mm-hmm. um, because of obvious, of, because there's no way to really determine the order of the injuries before death. Yeah, there's no there's no written history of it so much. No. And uh, a lot of bog bodies had their nipples mutilated. And I think a lot of people just assumed that that was because nipples were really important to kings. <laughs> Yeah, and I think yeah, because it fits that pattern. So if later in pre, you know, if if later on in Irish folklore, it's re- it's remained a thing that nipples are associated with, with. I mean, I can see it being a thing. Suckling a nipple is very submissive, um, you know. And if there's art Awkward. that depicts people suckling the nipple of a king and things like that, and those all come later, then I can see where those theories would come from. But at the end of the day, we don't really know because there was no, um, there was written language in terms of there were um, symbols and symbolism and, and artistic rendering of communication, but there's no way for us to read it because there's no Rosetta Stone for, um, you Ancient know. Ancient man. <laughs> no. So all of these carvings and sort of things all mean something in some way and it could be communicating a story or it could be communicating um you know could be educating or just whatever there's loads of things that it could be but we don't have a translator so but it's very hard for me to be okay when archaeologists when historians when enthusiasts and all sorts say this is the case that really really bothers me and so many of them do it um it's much much more accurate and it's much much less arrogant to just say this is what i think well, yeah, and that's it's when I was trying to to talk about the um, uh, casual manners. It's like it's believed this part, you know. They yeah. believe that, or some people believe this thing. I don't know for sure. I ain't no, I ain't no archaeologist. I ain't no, uh, uh, I ain't no science person. It's very interesting to think that the nipples had to do with with submission and things like that. But equally, I think it's because so many of the bug bodies had their nipples mutilated, they were just trying to find a common. Yeah, but the thing is, that's relying on the on the idea that they had their nipples mutilated, and and there's a problem with that initially anyway, because um, a lot of the injuries that occur to bog bodies, there's no way to determine whether it happened to them at the time of death or not. Yeah. So that's another thing that I'm going to go into. So if we all talk, right. if I go and do my thing about pain, do your thing, <laughs> and 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 all of the, all of my stuff. And then afterwards we can carry on this conversation because it is interesting, but I want to equip you with all the knowledge that I have. Give me. Okay? Give so me. I read a paper by um, Henry Chapman and Benjamin Geary that was written this year, 
for the archaeology for the Oxford Journal of Archaeology. So it is brand spanking new. Nice. Can't get any newer yeah. in terms of research. Like we were saying, a lot of the bog bodies, a lot of the bog bodies that we find show signs of violent, painful deaths. Um, that said, recent research has resulted in a reduction in the confirmed number of individuals that were clearly deliberately killed, concluding that many originally identified injuries are more likely to be pre or post mortem and did not occur at the time of death. So there's an entirely, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, what it's saying is basically a lot of the bog bodies, although they have injuries. It might just mean that they were buried in the bog, that they were never actually murdered and, you know, like killed and placed in the bog, that they were actually just normal people being buried. Ah. Okay. However, this new research also provided clarification of the likely causes of death for those who were inflicted with violent injuries. So they, they, they took a data set and they were able to eliminate a load of individuals in terms of um, not being able to determine whether the cause of death was violent, but at the same time going more in depth into the ones that they determined were. So okay. there are there it ends up with ten examples that they're going from. Okay, I'm not going to try to pronounce them all because <laughs> a lot of them are from Denmark, but it includes Tolland Man, yeah, and um, Cloney Kevin Man, Cloney Kevin Man, yeah, uh, Lindau Man who's quite famous, and um, Grabal, Grabalman, who's also quite famous. So those four are quite famous bog bodies, and then there's um, six more that that aren't as, as well known. This paper looked at these 10 individuals to determine sort of <laughs> what happened to them at the time of death. Yeah. Um, for these people, the evidence was is absolutely unequivocal they suffered pain and ultimately death through a range of violent acts like decapitation disemboweling stabbing hanging strangulation slit throats and blows to the head and in addition they were mutilated such as cutting the nipples arms or genitals there's okay. one that was found with his penis severed that wasn't Ow. a result yeah it wasn't a result of pee bog pee you know pee um Did they- did they find the penis? Uh, no. Ah. It's really fucked up. <clears throat> so looking at these 10 examples who definitely suffered their injuries at the time of death. Okay. I'm going to talk proper terms now. It's called okay. perimortem. Perimortem is what happens uh, around the t- all around the time of death. And then there's antimortem, which is before the time of death. Mm-hmm. And then we all know pan- p- uh, postmortem. Thanks, CSI. But yeah. those are the three technical terms. You've got um, anti-mortem before death, perimortem at the time of death, post-mortem after death. Cool. Um, just so that you're now equipped with the trilogy of terms. Yeah. <laughs> I feel smarter. <laughs> yeah. I might accidentally say perimortem as well, so I thought I'd might as well define it so that people don't get confused. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so after... So where am I up to? Right. So... They looked at the 10, ten examples who definitely suffered these injuries um, perimortem um, and then looked at how long that person will have taken to have lost consciousness as a result of these injuries. Got it. Okay. And interestingly, they will all of all 10 will have fallen. Sorry. Hold on. They all they all will have fallen unconsciously. Un- 
Interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, they will all have fallen unconscious or even died somewhere between immediately and 15 seconds. Oh. With one, Lindau man, at one minute, because he was believed, it was believed he was slowly, he slowly bled out from a cut jugular vein. But he very well may have been unconscious when the jugular was cut because he had been hit on the head. It's just impossible to tell in what order he suffered his injuries. But logically, you would think hit on the head, unconscious, cutthroat. Yeah, why would you hit someone on the head after you cut their throat? Exactly. You're not going to cut someone in the throat and then whack them in the head. Yeah. It doesn't seem to make any sense. So So it makes more sense that he was rendered unconscious and then his throat was cut. And then the reason why it was slow is because he also had a thing around his neck, but it looked like it had been used to um, sort of sever, not sever, but, you know, stem the flow of the blood to make it come Ooh. out slower. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> maybe to put it in a bowl? Like Possibly. in a movie? Maybe, maybe. Like the movies tell me they do? Yes. <laughs> but what does this tell you, though? If, if, if all of them will have been unconscious pretty much immediately... It sort of shows you that although the injuries were horrendous and violent, the people didn't actually suffer for very long at all before they lost their consciousness. Yeah, yeah. So Lindau Man and a few other examples will have, will have taken hours to eventually die. But they would have more than likely been out for the count and not actually feeling the pain or suffering the whole time. There is even a demonstration of multiple attempts to render the victim unconscious. So like Lindau Man again, he was hit multiple times in the head. Like it was really important that he was not awake. Hmm. So if you imagine the performance of it, that being unconscious pretty quickly seems to be a running theme. Yeah. As always, this idea isn't perfect. Some of the more torturous injuries like the nipple cutting, and in one case an individual had willow branches made into withies, like a string threaded through his arms. Ooh. That might well have occurred before the person was unconscious. And the guy with the withies through his arms um, had cuts on his body that might have been the result of self-defense. Yeah, yeah. E- equally, they may not have been. So let's imagine this guy was out and not suffering, So, because we don't know the order in which they got the wounds. Yeah, wait, which one had the thingies in his arm? Um, I didn't write it down. Um, I'm sorry. I'll I'll look it up later. This it's okay. I think that it was um, it could have been any one of the other six. It could have been. Uh, uh, I can. Sh- I'll send you the article. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm not actually sure which one that was. But he had like it. Basically, these withies, um, they go through his arms and it will have controlled his movements. So okay. it would have actually, like, they would have been able to, like, kind of manipulate his body and move his arms around. Yeah. So you could imagine that that's a way to sort of keep him from struggling. Or you could imagine that as a way to animate his body after death. Yeah. So mm. it just depends on how you interpret it. Make him dense. Yeah, well, or, you know, do something. Yeah. So, though the intensity and the agony of these deaths can't be measured, okay, can't imagine how much it hurt, the length of time they suffered feasibly can. 
And the overwhelming consistency between all the examples used in the study is that they most likely did not suffer for longer than 15 seconds before losing consciousness. So the idea of a quick death may have been important to the victim or the witnesses or the participants. Yeah. The order that the injuries are determined to have taken place drastically changes the interpretation, like I've been saying, especially with the guy I mentioned with the withies, because those could have been used to parade and maneuver him before or after death. But either way, the thought of it is very, very visual and performative, which kind of shows you that there must have been some kind of thing going on for people to witness, for him to be like, like manipulated like a puppet. Why right? did they do that? <laughs> I, I want to know. I do conclude my thing with a little a little thought on that. So we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. It, it does appear, though, that the injuries were designed to reduce the amount of time suffering and quicken the speed of the loss of consciousness. Yeah. Okay. So it does seem like all the injuries point to trying to get knock them out and then do all this shit to them. It does yeah. indicate that. Okay. And, the, and there's a, one more piece of evidence that I haven't mentioned yet that kind of helps this theory as well. Thanks to the preservation of their stomach contents, Mm -hmm. many of the bodies still had the remnants of their last meals. In many cases, they seem to have eaten some kind of concoction that was very likely meant to have a narcotic effect. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so like Grawable Man, he had consumed large quantities of a cereal that was contaminated with the fungus Claviceps purpurea, Ergot. Okay. Ergot causes ergotism, which can cause hallucinations, convulsions, burning sensations in the mouth and, and arms and legs, and prote- perhaps even induce coma and or even kill you. That doesn't sound fun. Side note, despite all this, ergot is known to have been used in medicines even through the Middle Ages. Huh. <laughs> so anyway, women used to use it to help with their menstrual cramps. Apparently, the pain from... Um, convulsions caused from ergot were less than menstrual cramps. So, fellas, just so you know, menstrual cramps really, really fucking hurt. That we're willing to poison ourselves just for a little relief. Anyway, oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's just a little side note. I thought I'd add yeah. in there. Anyway, <laughs> so Broglie um, had this had ergot in his last meal, so he could have been experiencing any of those symptoms or all of them when his throat was slit. So, but that wouldn't necessarily knock him out. That would more like yeah. distract him, wouldn't it? Well, well it, it, it can cause hallucinations, convulsions, burning sensations, but also induce coma and, and death. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So it, it basically was out of his mind. Got it. Though, like with everything, there's someone that goes, <clears throat> <laughs> there's a scientist in the back going, the quantity might not have been enough to cause this. Exactly. Finger in the air. Yeah. So just, you know, there are people that dispute it, but regardless, he had ergot in his last meal. Also, Lindau man had mistletoe in his gut. Yeah. Which very well could have been used for a narcotic effect. And another individual from Dorset was found with traces of the the relaxant chamomile and opium poppy seeds, which is also speculated to have been used in prehistoric manage uh, prehistoric medicine to manage pain. See, that sounds way more pleasant than the burning hallucinations. Yeah, I just think that ergot has all those side effects, but for the most part, it kind of just makes you trip out. All right. Um, it does make you kind of loopy. 
I'll take the poppy and the chamomile, please. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the ergot's a bit stronger. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so they might have been really drugged up, tripping out, not really aware of what was going on, which might have actually been part of the ritual, that the person being killed is in an alternative state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So I say ritual again. Sorry, but it, it did sound like a ritual. So they could have, they could have, the, it's kind of like in Native American folklore and, you know, shamans and everything like that. They they reach a new, you know, they go to a, a state of altered consciousness in order yeah. to pr- do their magic. It's entirely yeah. possible that these people who are being killed are being drugged up and that's part of the ritual. Or they could have been given the plants and edibles as a form of mercy for the victim. Yeah. So a pain management. Sorry? Or practicality. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Um, <laughs> that was my next part. It's like, it's, it's, it could have been, it's all right. No, it's, it could have been mercy just to help them manage the pain. Or it could have just been to make sure that they weren't going to fight back. Um, yeah. it, it would make the person either already unconscious or basically just really calm and relaxed and, you know, not. I mean, you can, you could be calm, relaxed and willing to be sacrificed. And you can be calm, relaxed, and then not really know better than to fight back. Yeah. So there's lots and lots and lots and lots of different ways that this all can be interpreted. Um, and it just sort of depends on your point of view and how you think humans treated each other, really. Yeah. So you take all that as you will. But if you only take one thing away, I just want people to remember this. If these deaths seem callous and brutal, just remember that these killings are conducted by people with a totally different idea of body and mind. Oh, yeah. The consciousness and being and its relationship with violence and pain is very different to ours. So we can't really judge because they don't actually know. We don't think the same way. Yeah. Um, it's very likely that the person being sacrificed. I mean, it's just as likely that the person being sacrificed was doing so willingly as it is they were being sacrificed yeah or, or like or like if not willingly at least with the understanding this is just how it is yeah and they might not have even seen it as a death mm-hmm. you know it could be part of their uh, belief system that um somebody goes through this and it's just a way of you know it's just a part of life and that is how you make sure that the crops grow next year or whatever so you know that's very wicker man <laughs> but yeah you know the whole concept of human sacrifice throughout history has always been it's the detriment of the one for the benefit of the many yeah um and so that's running on the idea that it's human sacrifice it might not even be anything to do with sacrifice like has been mentioned it could be to do with getting rid of kings and getting a new one it could be to do with executing prisoners they could have been magical folk who got too full of themselves and they needed to be you know taken out by the community so if people believe in magic and things like that so like even I could sit here and think of a million things that this thing that this could have been but at the end of the day the actual truth of it is whoever these people were and for whatever reason they were being sacrificed it appears that they were prepared for their death in some way and that they were rendered unconscious very very quickly so that they didn't feel the pain and then things happened to their body after they were dead Mm -hmm. or at least unconscious and then they were deposited in a bog 
that seems to me like the order of events. Yeah. But it's entirely possible the order of events was they were prepared for death, tortured, mutilated, then hit unconscious, then died, and then were deposited. Or we could be totally wrong and they cut that guy's throat and then just beat him about the head for like 10 minutes and, <laughs> the, you know. He's already dead. Oh, I was that just guy. making sure. <laughs> you know, he really was a jerk. Just, mm. Yeah. And also um, a lot of the, like, the, the reason why so many of the bodies had to be sort of dis, not not a part of this study was because the, the wounds and the injuries that occurred to the bodies were anti-Norman, uh, anti-mortem. So they couldn't prove that they happened at the time of death. Yeah. So there was a lot of injuries that um, uh, you couldn't conclusively state that they were far in the past, but they didn't appear to happen right at the cause of uh, right at the time of death. And also, um, there's a lot of post-mortem injuries. Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That that used to be that used to be totally thought that were part of the whole thing. Like the, there's there's one body that had loads and loads of cuts all over his body, and it they thought at first for years and years and years they thought it was from twelve or twelve to twenty stab marks, but actually that happened while he was in the peat. Hmm. It was the skin drying out and splitting. Oh, so when they actually investigated it again more recently, they're like, oh no, all of these are just from the skin drying out and splitting there's two stab wounds to the heart one looks like it missed and then the second one looks like it got it but we can't be sure so we you know a lot of the times as well when there's multiple wounds like that they're all meant they all look like they were meant to cause death so the quick death thing is definite They, they, they i don't think that they try to make people suffer yeah, I mean, but then you have like Cashelman, who who definitely does have defensive wounds, and he, I I don't think he went uh, easily. Um, but there's no way to know how he died, which is super frustrating. That's so, the thing. I think he was dismissed. He wasn't part, not dismissed, but he wasn't part of this study. Um, I think because a lot of the wounds have been interpreted as self-defense wounds and things like that, but you can't actually prove it. Yeah. So although um. Although he appears to have defensive wounds, it could have just been the milling machine. It it might very well have. They all might have also have been anti mortem. Yeah. So they might have happened a few days before, or weeks, or months, or years before. Well. Yeah. You know, and then because of the preservation in the bog, it's really hard. It really, it really is hard to determine. Although they are so beautifully and wonderfully preserved, they. Mm-hmm. The, you still can't really tell the order in which they get their injuries. Seriously, guys, Google bog bodies. They're so <laughs> cool. They're so they're so neat, and and you can you can see so much. There's so much to tell. I mean, I was almost gonna bring up like uh, Otzi. Otzi, yep. Yeah, the, the Iceman. You know, <laughs> this he's not necessarily a bog body, but he's so incredibly preserved that they can tell you what parasites he had. Yep. Um, what his meal was, uh, there there are markings on his fingernails that tell you when he was sick for the mm-hmm. last, like, three months of his life. It's crazy. It's so fascinating, and I'm so completely in love with them. <laughs> I love yeah, them no, so much. 
the, 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 the thing is, it's very hard to talk about bog bodies without people having a visual. So I really do hope that um, either before or or when they're done listening, that they get on Google and and have a look because they are beautiful. They really yeah, are. And, and we'll we'll post pictures, too, like like we have been doing on our Facebook, our <laughs> Twitter and our Instagram at Zombie Fishbowl Podcast or just Zombie Fishbowl. We're easy to find. Yes, we're very easy to find. Um, except if we're on iTunes because we haven't been approved yet. I'm going on two weeks now. Yeah. Whatever. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All the five inches. Right. <laughs> Do you feel that that was successful in educating people about bog bodies? I thought that was awesome. Okay, good. Because, <laughs> yeah. but again, I, I mean, I have so much already uh, enthusiasm for bog bodies in me. So, I, having this conversation was super fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is fun. It felt a little bit like homework for me. <laughs> if I'm honest. It, it came to a point there where I was just like, I, I've written, I have like three other bog bodies that I, I wanted to mention. I'm all like, I don't have enough. I need more. But that's just my own analytical brain going, um, you know, if this were homework, I would feel um, unsatisfied with the amount of work that I had put into it. Um, but I think that's just our, our kinds of brains. Yeah. 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 I felt a bit bad that I'd only read one research paper, but that seemed to have filled a half an hour. So we're good. Yeah. Killed it. Nice. It was 14 pages long. Nice. Yeah. That's a short I, research paper, by the way. <laughs> that is a very it. short research paper, but <laughs> it's fine. And I've got 10 pages of notes, just like really, really messy notes. Someday I'm going to just take a picture of all the notes that I've written, and you're going to look at it and go, why? What is wrong with you? You should definitely keep them in a file. I am. Shall we choose next week's topic? Yeah. Okay. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for mermaids. I feel like the guy from Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> Come on, mermaid. Come on, mermaid. Mermaids, 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 mermaids. Random topic picker, random topic picker. You're a random topic picker and you're gonna pick a topic. Yeah. Unsolved Mysteries, the TV show. Ooh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's good. I guess I'm gonna be binge watching. Yeah, hell yeah. So, right. Okay, that's definitely uh, one from left field. It's We've not done something so specific yet. We've done things that are quite open and, you know, multi-faceted. And I don't know how to describe it, but this one is very, very, very specific. All right. So we're going to, next week, we're going to be talking about Unsolved Mysteries, the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the more I think about it, the funnier it gets. What? The more I think about it, the funnier it gets. <laughs> the fuck? All right. Yes. Are you sure you want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I'm gonna have to get the theme song so that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Can we both wear um, beige trench coat while we while we film as well? I have one. I have one. I'm ready. <laughs> I do not, but I have. Um, no, I do not. I have a lab coat. <laughs> do it. I'm sure to work. Oh my yeah. god, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, it's I yeah, okay. The younger people listening to this are gonna be like, what the fuck is unsolved mysteries? Alright, no, this is gonna be good. It's gonna be a really yeah. good one. Okay. Alright. We'll see what each of us do. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, to finish it, to finish it, I've got a quote. Okay? So I've got yeah. a quote. So we were talking about the horrendous, um, <laughs> you know, brutal deaths of these people. And so I thought that I would end with a quote that was thematically relevant, but a positive message. Nice. And it, and it is a Terry Pratchett quote. Um, so it is, um, don't think of it as dying, said death. Just think of it as leaving early to avoid the rush. I love Terry Pratchett so much. <laughs> yep, and Death is probably in my top five favorite characters as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, guys, an extra side note: if you haven't read Terry Pratchett, there's something wrong with you because he's the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is. He's on the list to talk about eventually. So. Oh, good, because I love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Terry Pratchett is the shit. That's it. Yeah, that we'll leave it with that. Right. So, do you want to say bye to everyone, Melanie? All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Zombie Fishbowl. We will see you next week when we are talking about <coughs> unsolved mysteries. Oh, the God. TV show. The TV show specifically. So it's going to be good. We love you. Thank you so much for your support. Again, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Zombie Fishbowl. We love you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.